I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to Sliding Doors 25, a podcast series celebrating the 25th anniversary of the 90s movie classic Sliding Doors. I am Jenny Becker, and throughout my life and career, I've always been fascinated with the theory that everything happens for a reason, and of course the film Sliding Doors. I still remember the first time I saw the film, seeing Helen, played by Gwyneth Paltrow, rush down the steps to catch the tube, and how she just makes it in time watching as her life splits in two in that moment where she just makes the train. In one life, she meets the love of her life, James, played by John Hanna. In that life, she goes home to catch her boyfriend cheating, leaves him, gets a haircut that defines the late 90s and eventually makes her way to James. But in the other life, she misses the train, doesn't catch her boyfriend cheating and follows a completely different path. Two entirely different versions of her life are being shown to us in parallel because of one moment that changes everything. And I remember asking myself that very question, what if? I've brought together the cast and crew to celebrate this timeless classic and to really delve into where that what if idea came from. Why, 25 years on, is the term still used in our everyday vocabulary? Film fans such as Laura Whitmore, Bradley Welsh and Stephen Bartlett share their thoughts and we get some behind-the-scenes juicy gossip from the making of the film. So sit back, get your 90s gear on and let's look back at the film that changed our lives. The year is 1998. The Bill Clinton and Monica Lewinsky scandal is pasted across the news. Titanic is cleaning up at the box office and at the Oscars. Britney Spears is introduced into our lives and Hit Me Baby One More Time plays every time we turn on the radio. Google is taking shape right below our fingertips. And Carrie Bradshaw is winning our hearts in Sex and the City. And on May the 1st, 1998, our minds are opened up to a term and theory that would stand the test of time. 
Sliding Doors. The 90s rom-com that brought together an iconic cast of Scottish heartthrob John Hanna, hot off his role in Four Weddings and a Funeral, Gwyneth Paltrow, who was part of one of the hottest celebrity couples with Brad Pitt, and whose iconic hairstyle made every girl in the 90s call up their hairdresser for that chic, short look. Star of stage and screen John Lynch, and of course, Jean Triplehorn, hot off her roles in Basic Instinct and The Firm. What's so interesting is that up until this point, although we'd had those what-if moments and decisions in our lives, there was never a term for it. But Sliding Doors captured that universal feeling perfectly. Whether it's a small moment of deciding to meet a friend for coffee that day, or a brush with death when you cross the road and a cyclist misses you just by an inch, or even sprinting to make the bus just before the doors shut, every day we're presented with moments in our lives that could have gone either way. Sliding Doors moments are all around us. A headline from a national newspaper. What might have been? How Marcus Rashford benefited from a sliding doors moment at Manchester United when he could have played for Wigan. Mel C often talks about her sliding doors moment of getting into the Spice Girls. She was handed a flyer for tryouts, but she was too ill for her recall, so she didn't get into the band. But two weeks later, her fate changed when someone dropped out, and the rest is history. CNN reporting. She got the last seat on the flight next to a stranger. They've been married for 40 years. The sliding doors moment of couple Vicky from the southern states of the USA meeting her husband Graham from Lancashire on a plane in a moment of chance. Everywhere I turn, someone is using sliding doors to explain a crossroads moment in their lives. On podcasts, chat shows, commentating on sport, in books and even at the BAFTAs. I was 12 at the time that the film was released and remember every Saturday night going to the video shop. Yes, the days when we couldn't just stream any film we wanted at any time. Renting sliding doors and watching it at sleepovers with my friends. I still remember the first time I saw the film seeing Helen, played by Gwyneth Paltrow, rush down the steps to catch the tube and how she just makes it in time, watching her life as it splits into two. My love of the film was instant. That music, the magical idea of watching two lives unfold before us. I was hooked then and have been ever since. So it was only a matter of time before I started my podcast, Sliding Doors, where I get to delve into moments that give me the same feeling as when Helen missed the tube. And now, 25 years on, I want to hear from the people who made the film and were part of this iconic moment in time. Firstly, we have Peter Howitt, writer and director of Sliding Doors, who up until 1998 was best known for playing Joey in the BBC TV series Bread. However, one day he had his own Sliding Doors moment that changed his life forever. I was just walking down the street in London, Charing Cross Road, in fact, and I was heading towards um, Leicester Square Tube Station. I was on my way home. I was going to get the train back to Fulham. And a friend of mine called John Flanagan, who's a writer and an actor, he and I had a company together, and we to produce plays and scripts and stuff. And I had to talk to him about something. 
and it was about 20 to 1 and he was going out at 1 o'clock and there were no cell phones of course in those days or there were but they were sporadic and nobody really had one and I thought oh I need to speak to John before he goes out I can phone him when I get home as soon as I get home I'll phone him but I said what if I get home what if I get home after one o'clock he might go and I saw this phone box on the other side of the road I thought oh I could just phone him now I'll just walk across to that phone box I thought no I'll phone him when I get home because it'll be fine the train's only 15 minutes I'll be no I should phone him now from the phone box well no I'll I'll no I'll be all right I'll walk anyway I couldn't decide clearly in my head very silly obvious everyday thing and obviously my brain decided that the answer was phone him now from that phone box across the road which is still there actually on Chancross Road it's a newer one but it's still there in the same place and I just sort of turned left into the street I just sort of walked out into the street like a maniac and nearly got hit by a car I mean really seriously nearly got hit by a car this car was going up there at about 30 miles an hour and screeched to a halt right by my legs. I mean, if this guy hadn't been paying, this is the whole what if, if he hadn't been paying attention, he would have hit me, definitely. There's no question about it. And for some reason, the seed of the film came from that moment. I thought, oh my goodness, what if, what if I died then? What if he had hit me and I died? just because I wanted to make a, a random phone call that could easily have waited to another time. What if I was hit but not killed and I was now I'm in hospital? And what if he's a, I'm okay, but he hits the steering wheel because he broke so quickly? And what all these different permutations of what might have happened. And I said to the guy, I'm so sorry. Oh, my God, are you okay? He said, yeah, it's my fault. You know, I'm Mia Culper and all that. And by the time I got to the phone box, which is, you know, nine, ten seconds later, I did phone John. John, I've, ha I've had an idea for a film, I think. Can you make a film where you take one moment in someone's life and split it in two and follow both paths? And he said, Pete, I have no idea what you're talking about. I, I, what are you talking about? Are you on drugs? What's the matter with you? So I just think I've had a great idea for a film. I've got to go. And I put the phone down. I do remember that when I got home, I wrote down on a piece of paper, Sliding Doors. That that would be the name, if I ever wrote this, I didn't know if I ever would, by the way. I hadn't, didn't have a single idea. And the first thought I had was, Okay, if you catch a train or miss a train, let's make that the, the split point, not crossing the road to make a phone call. Let's make it something that's out of your control. You, you try and catch a train, but you don't, or you try and catch a train and you do. Let's make that the split point. So someone's on a train and another, same, another version of that person is off the train. And so one's gone down the tunnel on, on the train, the other one's on the platform having missed it. What's the first thing that that could alter? What could that do? I said, well, the person who's on the train is going to get where that person is going sooner than the person who's not on the train. So I thought, what would that possibly do? So well, what if that person was going home at a time unexpected and caught an infidelity by going home? And what if the person who missed the train just didn't quite catch that infidelity? And of course, that all stayed in the story when we finally did it. 
It was during this early brainstorming that Peter decided that one version of Helen, the one who catches the train, would get home in time to catch her boyfriend cheating on her. But the other version, the one that just misses the train, wouldn't get home in time to find him with another woman. I wrote those first scenes down that I thought at least was, this is what happens at least. She gets home early, she catches him, she gets home late, she doesn't catch him. So I think I wrote about 11 or 12, 13, 15, I can't remember now, it wasn't many. It wasn't as many as 20, it was under 20 pages I sort of, sort of clumsily typed out. I had never written a script, a full script, but I knew what they looked like because I've been an actor for 20 years, so I knew what a script looked like, I'd just never done one. I was quite friendly socially with uh, Martin Clunes, the actor. And Martin was dating at the time, I don't think they were married yet, Philippa Braithwaite. And I knew that uh, Philippa was a film producer, which I thought was terribly grown up and exciting. And that she had produced a film that Martin himself actually had ended up directing. And I just said to Martin, we were drunk one night at the Soho House, I think, in London, and... I said, this is a great idea for a script. I've got all these pages. Let's show it to Philippa. It was about 11 o'clock at night and I was just drifting off to sleep and there was a knock on the door. Oh, it was Peter <laughs> at the door of the flat. Philippa, wake up. Pete's got this script. He's got this great idea for a script. He's like, oh, go away. He'd had this idea that night for a film and he wanted to talk to me. So I was like, came up bleary-eyed. I said, Pete, let's just talk in the morning. If we met up or we spoke the next day and he'd almost been run over on the Charing Cross Road that night, suddenly thought, I want to make a film about this. Do I know a producer? Philippa, I vaguely know. I think she made a film. Let's see if she's interested. So I left the pages with her and then we went for dinner about a week week or so later, all of us. And uh, she said, I, read, I did read those pages that you wrote. Um, and I thought, well, that is an absolutely brilliant original idea for a film. Now they had a premise and a great idea. The only thing they needed was to find and source all of the contributors and money needed to get the project off the ground. Easy, right? Oh no, they had to overcome a few minor obstacles as well. Once I'd got a, a draft of the film and Philip had given her input and I'd shown it to other friends, my mate Kevin McNally and other actors that I knew, and they came back and said, I don't believe this, this is daft, change this, add this, don't do that. So I did a few drafts based on people's comments and thoughts. And then Philippa really had to set off to try and raise money for it, to try and get it made as a film. We worked really hard. We had a, I can't remember what draft we started sending out to all the financiers, but it was a good, good few drafts in that we started sending out to cast and financiers and having the door slammed in our face quite often. I loved the idea from the minute Pete told me. I really liked Peter. I loved his energy. And I just knew he somehow we were going to get this film made. Even though everybody told us we couldn't, it was impossible and that we couldn't make it. It made us even more determined. But yeah, it became, it had a sort of momentum. And as the years went by, that kind of ebbed and flowed a bit. You know, we had down times, down days, down moments when people kept saying, no, can't be made, it's impossible wouldn't be able to tell two stories, No, everyone would get confused. If you've seen the film, then the script is easy to read. But if you haven't seen the film, you might read the script and go, what is going on here? All these different typefaces. And that's the only way I could think of to differentiate for the reader 
was doing a slanty italic bold print for one of the stories and regular typing for the other. And because I'd never made a film before and I'd never directed anything, I don't think they had the confidence in me or it to believe that people would understand what was going on. I think they thought they'd just be lost. And I went, we, we did get meetings with various people. Philippa managed to get us set up with meetings with various people, but they all, you could see them all going, yeah, we just don't see it. And I remember saying to all of them, if I could just show you this film, if I could show you it, you'd, you'd make it. But I can't show you it. So all you've got is the script and you're confused by it. And you don't think I could pull it off as a director, which is a very good chance I might not have done, by the way. There's no given that I was going to not make a complete dog's dinner of this. Peter and Philippa spent years pitching sliding doors to anyone they could get a meeting with. Peter's faith in his idea never wavered, but the string of rejections had started to take its toll, and after four years of working together, Philippa had decided it was time to throw in the towel. I didn't know what else to do, because we'd gone to all the cast, we'd sort of got finance together, but we couldn't get the main cast, and so I said to Peter, I really did think that, that after four years, it probably was the end of the road, so he, he was brilliant, and he said, fair enough, and he went off down the pub, and... Um, and then the phone went, it was about six o'clock at night, and there's an American voice on the phone saying they had Sidney Pollock for me. And I really thought it was a friend winding me up, or Peter down the pub. So I was like, yeah, 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 okay. They well, we're just putting him through, and I'm like, okay, yeah, whatever. And they said, um, hi, it's Sidney Pollock here. I'm like, oh my God, really? <laughs> I was in the pub, uh, getting drunk, and she came trawling around all the pubs in Soho to find me and said, get sober up, Sidney Pollack wants to talk to you. I said, why? He said, he's read the script. I said, Sidney Pollack's read it? How's he read it? He said, John Hanna gave it to him. John Hanna? My name is John Hanna, and 25 years ago, I played a character called James. I'd gone to LA to have some meetings, try and, try and get a job as an actor. I'd just finished doing a play. When I was there, one of my meetings was with Sidney Pollock's company. But halfway through the meeting, um, Sydney came in and we got talking and I, he was asking, you know, so what are you going to be doing? And I said, well, I was supposed to do this film and but it's sort of falling apart, blah, blah, blah. And I, I didn't realise, but what I was doing, I suppose, was pitching the film to him. He'd been waiting for a script to be delivered that day that he was about to direct and it hadn't arrived. So someone had read it in his office and really liked it and put it on his pile of stuff for him to read. And he just took it off the, he was, just took it out of the pile and read it and loved it. And said, get me, get me the people who are making this. I mean, that is Sydney all over because nobody else would have done that. He was just the most fantastic, supportive, amazing filmmaker. You know, he was just brilliant. And, and he said, I love it. I am, like everybody else, shocked that nobody's thought of this before as a film. That's the late Sidney Pollock being interviewed by film critic Tim Lammers in 1998. Certainly you're preoccupied with the concept of it all day in your life. You wander around and say, if I just left 10 minutes earlier, if I just had gone that way instead of this way, I wouldn't have gotten stuck in the traffic, I wouldn't have had the accident, I wouldn't have missed the appointment, I would have now been on such and such, mm -hmm. I would have been $100 richer, or whatever the hell it is. You, you, you really do wonder all the time what if, what if? And mm -hmm. so here, Peter uh, Howitt was smart enough to uh, say, hey, I think this is the movie. If the person handing in their script that day hadn't have been late, if John Hanna didn't mention the film in his meeting, and if Philip had been out when the phone rang that day, all these tiny parts had to align for the film to have its own sliding doors moment. 
So, with the backing of Sidney Pollock, one of the most famous and talented directors and producers in the world, the film was about to take shape. You know, we just auditioned all the all the good actors and actresses. Lots of I wouldn't say their names there. I think it would be impolite. Lots of actresses who are now really famous, really you'd know all of their names, came and auditioned for the part of Helen. This is before the the Gwyneth thing happened. I was going out with a, a girl called Liz, and we went to see uh, Emma at the theatre cinema with Gwyneth in it. And at the end of the, th- and we, uh, this was before we'd even had the meeting, by the way, with, with uh, before Sydney had read it, before any of that had happened. Mm-hmm. And we went to see Emma. And at the end of it, I just said to Liz, um, that's who I want to be in Sliding Doors. Really? Yeah. Gwyneth Paltrow. She'd be great, wouldn't she? She said, yeah, she would. I said, well, just saying it, just saying it out loud, just putting it out there. So Gwyneth was, she'd done Emma, but she hadn't, she wasn't, I mean, she was a star, but she wasn't like a big star like she is now. And they got the script to her and she was in Paris at the time and she loved it. And she'd been offered a big kind of marvel type film. And she was sort of, she, I think she rang me or she's, we, Peter and I went to meet her in Paris. And she said, oh, I, I just can't decide whether to do, I love this film. I can't decide whether to do this or this other big film. We were like, please do this. <laughs> so we went on the train to Paris and met Gwyneth and, we thought we were going to be interviewed to see if she liked us, but she'd already decided she wanted to do it. She just wanted to meet us and say hello. So we came back from Paris all giggly because Gwyneth was going to be in it. And then John was John was uh, in from the very beginning. So John, that was done. It was just a brilliant script. I mean, that would have that would have done it. But his his energy and passion for it was great. I'd seen his little short that he'd done before. That was terrific. I'd done four weddings and a funeral and that had that had made a bit of a a difference for me at that point. And this was so four weddings came out like ninety-four. I'd probably met Pete like ninety maybe the end of ninety-four, maybe ninety-five, and then I think we did this. He then spent another year writing and then we did it ninety-six, I think. Sydney knew Jeannie Triplehorn because he'd worked for her with her before, so he suggested her, so we loved her, so great. The character of Lydia was a little intimidating. Uh, I was really curious how they were going to handle that. That's Jean Triplehorn. She played Lydia, also known as the other woman Helen catches her boyfriend Jerry with. But I talked to Peter, and um, and I knew that they were that there was going to be a lot of humor involved. It wasn't going to be heavy, and it just I just said yes. Jerry, um, we auditioned lots of people. And the powers that be weren't really taken. They were more taken with some than others, but they weren't really completely taken with anyone particularly. So in the end, they and they got quite interested in John Lynch. And John Lynch didn't want to audition because he was doing quite well at the time. But he agreed to meet with me and I met with him and they said, try and get him to read, try and get him to read some and we'll have a video camera there. Anyway, he did read some of it out and he was great. And he got the part in the end, he got the part. I wasn't sure, by the way, that he was absolutely right for it to begin with. He turned out to be perfect. I was wrong. It's Gwyneth Paltrow calling from Los Angeles. I'm the worst friend. I've been so busy and I'm so sorry I haven't called. What else? How are you? Anyway, I hope you're well and I'm getting so excited and... um, been listening to my tapes and um, the whole thing. 
so excited to be partnering with TFL for this series. 2023 marks the 160th anniversary of the Tube, the world's first and most famous. And TFL and the London Transport Museum are delivering a programme of activities throughout the year to celebrate the London Underground's role as the lifeblood of the city, connecting Londoners with work and leisure opportunities for the past 160 years. Activities will be themed around the Tube's innovation, its contribution to improving the environment, how it connects people and places and supports with diversity and inclusion, and its unique and world-renowned architecture and design. So keep your eyes peeled for activities throughout the year and how you can celebrate with TFL. And look out for our bonus podcast episode coming out very soon. One thing that I've always noticed about the film is the variety of accents. We have a Scotsman, an Irishman, an American and an American playing a Brit. It magically comes together as a melting pot that really defines London. Are you sure? You've been a bit, I don't know, a bit distant since I've got back. She's going to go over there, so we'll shoot her over here from yeah. here, doing her bit. Doing her bit. And she'll be like filling the kettle up, getting, getting the cups yeah. out, etc. Well, the small thing is that I've got an interview for a job. Do you know what? I've never actually thought of it, but you're right. There was obviously um, Zara and John were Irish, Doug English, Gwyneth being English, but uh, Jenny being American. And I don't know, it just it felt, it just feels kind of Londonish, you know? London is that brilliant sort of melting pot of, I mean, the one people you don't meet in London are Londoners. She's got blonde hair. Lydia has walked off. There's loads of them. Having some kind of sponsored epileptic fit. The accents were completely unintentional. They were the right people for the film. But I do remember when the rushes went to America and I got a call from Bill, the producer in America, and he he was thought they were all Irish or all Scottish. And he was saying about John Lynch, going, he's, his Scottish accent's so strong. I said, well, he's Irish. <laughs> And they just couldn't, they were a bit worried about it, actually. They were, it's, we hadn't, we really, really didn't, hadn't occurred to us, because obviously it's just, you know, part of our everyday life. But it, it, it gave it a distinctive flavour, I think. Gwyneth Paltrow often talks of her use of famous dialogue coach Barbara Barclay. Barbara has worked on so many films, including Bridget Jones, Rocketman, Les Mis and Pirates of the Caribbean and Gwyneth Paltrow had previously worked with her on the set of Emma. She explains in early press interviews for Sliding Doors that she spent hours and hours doing daily exercises to reshape the muscles in her mouth so that she could become Helen from London. Action. It's amazing. You can actually learn to despise inanimate objects like tin openers that don't open tins, egg mayonnaise and skipjack tuna. You're going out. Gwyneth came at it so professionally... She worked really hard with her voice coach and perfected the voice. People say they don't think her accent's good in it and they're wrong because it is. It's perfect. She was very, very professional. She was fun. She was having a good time. She did do one thing, though, that was brilliant to me. And this was amazing because she was only about 24, 25 at the time. Because I wrote the script, I knew in my mind how every line should sound. Or I thought I did. Because I'd written it and I'd know how it sounds. I know it. I know it would sound if I did it. They did it exactly as I imagined when I wrote it. But on the odd occasion that they didn't, I was like, oh, no, that doesn't sound right. Well, it doesn't. 
It's not that it doesn't sound right. It sounds different. And that's not the same as not right. It's just different. And Gwyneth came up to me one day and she said, Pete, you have to let it go. Just those words. Pete, you have to let it go. And it just stood there and I went, oh my God. Yes, thank you. From the beginning, Peter had always envisaged the tube door sliding shut and changing the course of Helen's life forever. It was imperative that he incorporated the underground into the film's imagery. Filming on the underground is really, really difficult. Um, still is. It was, really was then. There was one line of water in City that they will use for filming. It was really hard, actually, because it was dirty and it was really intense. And I think we probably filmed it over a few Sundays because it was quite, but we had, obviously it was, we looked at building an underground and we just couldn't, you had to film there. But it's Waterloo and I, that's my commute into London. So I passed that Waterloo and City. There's a little bit that you go off down another staircase to the line where we filmed it. And I look at it a lot when I'm going there thinking, you know, having flashbacks to it all. Even today when I'm going down the escalators after a long day at work and I see a train with its doors open, I think... Do I run and try and make it? Or do I walk and see if I'm meant to catch that tube? It happens to people every single day. Kate Reston has worked for TFL for over 30 years and she worked on Sliding Doors when it was filmed in the underground over 25 years ago. She's worked on so many amazing films in her time such as James Bond and V for Vendetta. I spoke to Kate about her role working on commercial filming for TFL and her fond memories of working on Sliding Doors. A lot of the time, the bigger features or TV dramas prefer exclusive sites. So that means it's closed to the public, which works a lot better, which in the in the case of Sliding Doors, they did this um, at the time. The Waterloo and City Line didn't run on a Sunday. So they worked a lot of their filming schedule around that. I think at the time I was probably early on in my career. So I'd done a few a few things by then. But I think the script was easy. The people were easy. It was it was a, just a nice job to work on. Funny enough that I, I had there was a couple of people who were working with me, and actually, when you see the, the train that comes into Bank Station, there's three of the guys are at the front of the driver's cab, but they've got big orange jackets on, and that really normally wouldn't wouldn't happen. But I don't think they were fussed. I think don't think Peter was obviously fussed about that, and it's very fleeting. And I remember I was sitting in the carriage behind at the time just keeping an eye on them. I mean, we get a lot of requests for people who are getting married and they want to um, they want to have their photographs taken on the underground because they met on the underground. Um, and you do hear about it a lot. You do hear that people, you know, their eyes, their eyes lock across a crowded tube train. It was a clever storyline. And I think, you know, it, it's that moment where for a split second, your life goes in two different directions. And, you know, that happens every day in life. But obviously with the tube, it's one way or the other. I suppose nowadays you'd say, oh, you just go to the next, you go to the next station. And if you lost somebody and you meet them at the next station. But these were two strangers who had no had no intentions of, of seeing one another again. So it's just serendipity. That's 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 how I would describe it. Serendipity. Serendipity. 
this would be the beginning of her journey through, as if she'd come from the street, is there, she'd come through, down through, up the barrier. John is just ahead of her. Rehearsal, action! Imagine a version of the film where the iconic moments of the door sliding shut and Helen missing the tube didn't play out the way we all know so well. Well, at one point it was directed completely differently. We'll break down that scene in the next episode. Thank you so much for listening to Sliding Doors 25. Thanks to Mags Creative, a podcast production and promotion company, for their support, and a special thanks to Palama Kaufman for bringing the show to life. A special thank you also to the cast and crew of Sliding Doors who are involved in this series, and to my special celebrity guests for their contributions. You can listen to my podcast, Sliding Doors, where I interview guests about the three Sliding Doors moments in their lives, wherever you're listening to this podcast right now. There's over 60 episodes for you to enjoy. And please remember to rate, review, subscribe, and share this podcast with a fellow Sliding Doors fan. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.